Hello, wherever you are, welcome to the Highways and Hedges podcast. I'm Will, this is... Joe. Joe. Um, Yeah, so we're here back talking about Joe's time in Scotland. So, Mm -hmm. Joe, describe what... Why were you in Scotland? Were you there on vacation? What what, what was going on over there? A two-year sabbatical, (laughs) um, where I just got to tour the Bonnie Highlands Mm. and... um, (laughs) um, in 2017, my wife and I went there for um, an interview with a ministry called 20 Schemes, and uh, they were planting churches in what are called schemes in Scotland. They're, it's what we would call the projects here. <clears throat> and so we interviewed with them in the fall of 2017, accepted the position, did some fundraising, and then from uh, fall of 2018 to fall of 2020, we were, um, I was basically doing a church planting internship with them on a, in a, a young church on the east side of Glasgow. Okay, cool. Um, speaking of seeing the sights over there, kick us off with what was, what was one of the coolest things you visited or saw, or if somebody goes to Scotland, what's one thing they need to go experience? Well, you have to see the Highlands. There's so much history there. I guess it does depend on what you like, what kind of tourist you are. But I'm more of a, I don't even know if this is the right word for it. Sometimes I say topographical tourist. Okay. I'd rather see um, parts of nature that are unique that I couldn't see uh-huh. in my home. Yeah. Whereas some people are more historical tourists or they'd like the great food or... I don't know, like fun experience, but I like experiences too, but more like, um, the coolest thing I remember seeing was standing on the edge of a, like a a sheer cliff of a beautiful green island on the edge of the, it was the Atlantic ocean. And so it just felt so wild and different from anything I'd seen in America. I loved that. Or one time got to try to hike the the tallest hill in Scotland, which is, a I think they're all around 4,000 feet. So they're not as big as our mountains, but it's still a good probably six-mile hike to the top of them. And we got caught in a blizzard, <laughs> couldn't see, and so had to stop in the middle of this blizzard and fumble our way back down the hill. Yeah. Cool experience, but those things are, I just love the beauty of seeing that. So if you're a topographical tourist, get to the highlands as quickly as you can. Don't waste any time in the cities. <laughs> If you're a history buff, though, you got to go to Edinburgh because it's just there's tons of just old, old, old stuff. Saw one. This wasn't in Edinburgh, but we did see um, near Stonehaven a castle that William Wallace had stormed oh, in the. Is that the late twelve, like wait, late thirteenth century? Or, I can't remember exactly. Maybe that, I can't remember if that's when he did it or if that's when it was built or what. But it's just like man, I just. This is crazy. Yeah. Most of the stuff there is older than my country. Yeah. That's what I kept thinking. It's yeah. just wild. Yeah. Speaking of the Highlands, um, this is completely unrelated to our podcast, but this morning I was, um, I saw something about the Scottish Highland Games on, yeah. on the internet. So like, there's this one competition where they like, they like have to carry. It's like they're holding a giant pole. I mean, it was like it was like a small like rea pole, almost. <laughs> like this giant log. And I guess they like run and like have to like pitch it forward or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It looked. It's called the caber toss. Okay. And what's so weird about it is they have to throw it end over end. So they need the top to hit the ground when they throw it, mm-hmm. and it has to then rotate up again, and fall at twelve o'clock 
on a clock face. Oh, wow. So it needs to go end over end straight over. And if it goes up and then kind of falls to the side, they'll be, they will they might still win because we went to the Highland Games one time oh, at cool. Loch Lomond and most of them couldn't get it over at all. Wow. So the guy who won was just the one who was able to get it over. Wow. And I think his, you know, it probably fell at three o'clock or something like That's that. Crazy. But yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. So, what are some of the other activities, the um, events like hammer toss, okay. lifting the heavy stones, like uh-huh. big uh, round stones. Um, what else did they do there? There was some folk wrestling stuff that they were doing. Do they do tug of war or not? There was. Okay. There was tug of war. I forgot about that in kilts. It was pretty, <laughs> awesome. pretty wild. Yep, it was funny. There was. Um, they actually did the first ever women's tug of war at the the particular games we were at, and there was only one women's team that showed up. <laughs> And so the announcer was like, all right, ladies in the, <laughs> like in the stands, we need somebody to volunteer <laughs> to come up with a team so we can actually make history oh, today. Well, like five teams ended up signing up from the stands, oh, ladies who just, you know, dressed for a day out <laughs> and then are out there and they beat the team that oh, showed up gosh. to win the, oh, <laughs> who'd been practicing tug of war. It was oh, the random, yeah, That's anyway. crazy. Yeah. That's cool stuff. That's one thing that's cool. Just I know this maybe is not where you're going with discussion about uh, Scotland, but one thing that I do think Scotland has uh, such a history of sports mm-hmm. that we don't, mm-hmm. and that sports existed long before sports were professionalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's a, a culture of sport. Yeah, that's much stronger and I think healthier than ours because they see it as we're we're competing for the joy of competition and mm-hmm. teamwork and yeah. there's still so much more of that left in their sports. Yeah. Whereas ours were professionalized so quickly, you just don't have local teams for adults. We pretty much just play in school and yeah. then you can go professional or you stop playing. Yeah. And I just loved how much guys well into their fifties were still playing soccer yeah. for fun and yeah. or the Highland games. Like they've just got yeah a cool culture of sport. Well, let's use that to segue into talking more about ministry and the, um, I mean, your, your internship there. So, cause if I remember right, you, you were part of a boxing club there, mm-hmm. right? And then did you play rugby over there as well or not? I just practiced with a local club that never got big enough to field a team. Okay. So, so did you see, I mean, what were those kinds of just sport and game dynamics? How did those play into relationships that you tried to build or um, I don't know would you go kick the soccer ball around with people or wh- how, how did that relate to you personally at, at least you can touch on what it looked like in the, the boxing club yeah um, the boxing club was more like a boxer size we didn't do a lot of like we were not planning to compete in any boxing though there are charity fights over there pretty common and so some of us had talked about training up and going and fighting in a charity fight which you're not meant to be skilled at that point. It's just people pay to watch amateurs <laughs> make fools of themselves and then that goes to a good cause. So you're like, I can do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll get beat up for that. Um, so that was um, one of the only places in my small community where men gathered in the schemes. Most, uh, I shouldn't say most because I couldn't tell you any statistics, but I had a hard time finding any adult men out of their homes it seemed that most of them were um you know either facing addictions or just living in their addiction so they're not Mm -hmm. coming out of their house because they've got illegal substances um Mm -hmm. or they're drinking alcohol getting drunk Mm -hmm. um 
And so it was really hard to find a community where men were. The The ladies were, because they're taking care of their kids, were out pretty regularly. So it was easier yeah. for my wife to spend time with ladies in the community. Yeah. But for me to find guys was rare. Hmm. So when I heard the local community center had a boxing club, I went and met, um, became good friends with both of the coaches. Um, and so it, it was the, it, I think it really served the purpose I wanted was just help me meet guys who are from my community. Yeah. Um, and it, the, one of the coaches drove from the city out there to help us. The other coach didn't actually live in our neighborhood. He lived in another community, not far. He was able to walk, but a lot of the guys that were actually in my community would show up for, you know, two or three weeks and then lose their motivation and leave. And so I didn't really get to interact with them. I, I think where I really hit the gold mine as far as like finding where men were was when I went to the local pub Uh and started playing pool with guys. I went, started going there every Monday night to shoot pool. Most of these guys were retired on their pension and stuff, but that's just where they were gathering. And so I I think in some of the, I can't remember if this was in some of the training I had or what, but was just like, look for where the social activity is already happening mm. and go try to join in and be a part of that yeah. to build relationships with people, get to know people in the community. Yeah. Don't try to set up your own separate events and yeah. pull people to that because they just won't come. Yeah. Which was true. We we really struggled to get people to come to events that we put on. What did but. what did guys at the pub think of a random American guy showing up to play pool? <laughs> they always wanted to know what I thought of Donald Trump and <laughs> if I lived in the Wild West. They could not believe that we had guns. That was the, those are the two things that every single guy. Um, most of them thought I was Canadian because I think Canada has a better relationship with Scotland, okay. uh, visa wise maybe or something. Okay. Um, so when they found out I was American, they would you always want to. Yeah, I, you can you can pull off Canadian. Look. I I probably could. Yeah, I no, I I never <laughs> never could do the accent, so I, I can't do any accent. I've, um, so that was um, yeah, those were good opportunities to meet guys, and that's that was my main intent in doing it was to build relationships with guys in the community, and then plus I do just really enjoy fitness, anything fitness related, and so I was doing it just for the joy of doing those yeah. things too. So would they, I mean, like, would they just ask, like, why are you here? You know, I mean, like, just, just questions about, like, what, what's, a, what's an American doing yeah, over here? Yeah, sometimes they, they were, especially the guys at the pub, they were not very, um, they seemed really, most of them seemed really standoffish and um, you just not interested in anything personal about me. They wanted yeah. to banter they like to mock and you know have their own little superficial chat about stuff that's that's funny and things but it takes a a lot longer time for them to really open up and want to know anything about you right yeah but my boxing club uh those guys really got to know me both of our coaches came to our church for a time i think they our church had been reaching out to these guys prior to me coming so it's not like i initiated that yeah. But they were coming while we were there as well. And um, both of them at different times were doing Bible study with me to, um, as, as an exploration of Christianity. They, neither of them were Christians, but as a, as a way for them to explore the claims of Christ. So yeah. it, I think it, was, um, it did get to that point with those guys. Yeah. But not so much in the pub. The pub was uh, not a good place for guys to be very honest. Yeah. There's too much... Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of ego and a lot of, a lot of, uh, 
yeah, just needing to self protection is all I'm thinking. Like yeah, that. It was, yeah. it was not a good place for guys to level with you. Yeah. Yeah, in any place. I mean, it's easier to talk about news, weather, and sports than to get get into anything deeper than that. Yeah. So right. So they would ask occasionally, and I'd tell them I'm here trying to help start a new church. And they're like, "Oh, good for you, good for you." Yeah. Okay. What was, yeah, so what was the what was the kind of general opinion of either religion or Christianity specifically? Um, probably like what will sound most remarkable to us was a conversation I had with a man at the pub while we were watching a soccer match and um he he'd been uh in a hard background in life in his younger years and then ran into a a missionary group I can't remember what they're called if it was harvest or something um or maybe it was youth with a mission I think it was YWAM and converted and in his mind like yep I I believed it I even became a YWAM missionary and went on a trip with YWAM to South America I think um and all he remembered from that trip was getting off and lighting a cigarette and the pastor of in South America scolding him and saying he wasn't really a Christian and how off-putting that was to him. Hmm. And now when I was meeting him, it was years and years later, and he was saying that he, uh, he was an ev- like a Catholic. He said, I'm a, I am Catholic. I'm a Catholic. And I asked him, okay, so are you a man of faith? And he's like, oh, no. So I was like, what do you mean? Like, what is... What is anything Christian? I mean, Catholics, Protestants, either. Like, how could you say I am religious, but I don't have faith? I'm not a man of faith. Yeah. And he said that the reason he wasn't a a man of faith is because of the way he'd watched his father die from cancer Mm. um, and just had lost faith in God at that point. And I I met a lot of people who were... um, I think what they felt like is that religion... Christianity or not, they, they would probably, most of them would lean toward Christianity because there's a uh, history of Christianity in Scotland. So it'd uh-huh. just be kind of like, this is our national religion. Yeah. But their, their sense of religion was almost like um, tied up with the sentimentality of like Christmas morning for kids. Hmm. Like the way they would talk about having lost their faith through suffering or difficulties and stuff. And then what, almost like they, they yearned for having it again. Interesting. But life was too hard to return to that. Yeah. Almost like you'd think of like, you know, a coming of age happened. Yeah. They lost their innocence. Hmm. And they're glad that you're still naive enough to be able to feel those things. Hmm. But they can't bring themselves to it. Hmm. And even the people who I got to have ongoing evangelistic re- conversations with, yeah. it felt like they were saying like, you're almost stirring that up in me again, but then reality crashes back in and I can't, and I want to, but I just can't bring myself to, hmm. to that, to the magic of Christianity again. Yeah. The, the way that we would talk about losing the magic of Christmas or something like that. Interesting. Felt like that's basically what they saw religion as it's yeah. just that was the i mean do you did you see that kind of i mean that sounds like just very hopeless did you see that kind of hopelessness permeating the whole community just just in every aspect of life just given you know maybe like high levels of addiction and just 
things like that or is it was it not was it not an overall hopelessness but just kind of specific to this that you really saw it yeah it was um the 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 schemes have um are all higher in their addiction and joblessness and suicide rates and uh you know lack of i said joblessness lack of education all all the social demographics Mm -hmm. as far as statistics go schemes score pretty poorly in them yeah um they're uh, i think one of this one of our, our church planters was working in dundee and a study had been done and dundee was had become the drug death capital of the world. Mm. So it's, wow. it is pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, I think maybe I'd heard that su- like the, the suicide of young men was higher in parts of Scotland than anywhere else in the world. Um, but yeah, there, there was just kind of a, I wouldn't say like everybody looked sad and despairing in that sense. There was hopelessness, but it was like, yeah, but we've learned to cope. We're yeah. tough. And so like, you know the kind of we just yeah well I don't even know that but more like I've just learned how to distract myself from the yeah. serious things like every funeral not not Christian funerals like evangelical Christian funerals but funerals in Scotland mm-hmm. are known to be the time that all the family is supposed to go get drunk mm-hmm. they go do the service and then they all go to the pub and it's it is like a a cultural tradition that they're all going to go get drunk together even if you're not really used to like you're not always spending your time in the pub yeah that's just what the family does after the funeral Hmm. um and then just this the same ways that we would i'm not saying this is unique to scotland i'm just saying like this is what hopelessness looks like is that we don't ever really admit our hopelessness in fact admitting hopelessness probably either leads to suicide or the hope of the gospel yeah and so to stay on the precipice of yeah. hopelessness, but yeah. distract yourself from what's right there in front of you, you've got your TV, you've got, you know, the um, gambling at the local bookies, you've got your sports teams, you could get wrapped up in who's winning the, the different rivalries, you know, become obsessed with that. Yeah. And so it would, I mean, it manifests in the same way it manifests anywhere, being obsessed with superficial frivolous things yeah that it's um that's just what worldliness looks like is i won't admit that my life is hopeless yeah um even though in social demographic um in in those categories it would look more hopeless than say like the the homes that you and i grew up in yeah but even there it's not like that somehow wakes them up they also have sinful human hearts and are able to cope with yeah those kind of things like i yeah just was amazed at times at the kind of things they could go through a guy i knew going facing like uh, struggling with a, an addiction getting back into crime going to prison coming out of prison and me just thinking like man i just watched you go through what must be the most horrific circumstances in your life and he bounced back like nothing had happened hmm. i was like yeah that would that would change me. Yeah. I feel like that would change me at yeah. my core if I went through what you just went through. If yeah. I and and it didn't seem to. And mm-hmm. I think it's just it's a it's almost become normalized. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. So um 
what you're describing um, is encapsulated by the book title Church in Hard Places, which is written is by Mez McConnell. Co-authored by Mez McConnell and okay. Mike McKinley. Okay, in which and they're connected with the Twenty Schemes Ministry. Yeah. Right? So, um, you don't have to talk about the book specifically, but that idea of doing church in hard places, um, planting a church, doing evangelism, things like that. What do you think are what are some of the most valuable things you learn there? Either, either for your just your personal personal growth in walking with Christ, um, or even things that you feel like you you learned about ministry, how to minister, things that, um, I don't know, have been helpful even as you think about your ministry in Agros. Just what are, what are some of the, just what are some of the takeaways, the things you're like, you look back and maybe you can, you're grateful for, you know, these things I learned or these experiences that I had. That could be, I mean, that could really be anything. Yeah. Um, I, I think I can think of two ministry lessons off the top of my head and then one personal. Um, so as far as the ministry ones goes, what really struck me is that I grew up in a culture of Christianity that has become very disconnected from unbelievers. Mm. So I'm thinking specifically of evangelism and ministry. I think Scotland is just on on a continuum that we are following down where the church became too concerned with numbers and really just wanted the low-hanging fruit, started getting concerned with um, just transfer growth. Yeah, The church was catering to people's natural appetites and the pe- so the people who were going to the church were probably people who grew up in Christian homes, maybe kind of defected from the church at one point in life, but are now coming back. And the church became this, um, one way I've talked about it before is like we became an entertainment venue and we just saw the bulk of our ministry as how good of a program can we put on to attract people and keep them coming to our programs and not going to other people's programs. Yeah. And uh, one of the books we read while we were over there is called Everyday Church. And this is probably the main gist of that book. And also that book was heavily applied in our church's ministry. So it was really probably why this is on my mind. But I just saw it in Scotland that it is such an unchurched group of people, not just de-churched, not like these people grew up as children in church and then left the church. But Mm -hmm. most of my neighbors had no association ever with the church they were not going to come to any manner of event, no matter how great it was, yeah. if they saw a poster about it. They're more likely to just tear it off and throw it away because they think the church is stupid yeah. or just don't understand the relevance. Like, why why give my time to that when I could sit at home and watch programming that's 10 times more entertaining than anything you could put on? Yeah. And so just uh, – and this is also – I'm borrowing heavily from everyday church as far as this lesson goes. But the what the church needs to be is um, not event-centered but uh, community-centered, that we're a body of people yeah. who are living real, ordinary lives together. And evangelism, in part, is inviting people into that community. If, they're, if they trust in Christ, then there's a, a family or a – yeah – that community of people interacting that we're trying to invite them into. One way that that like sticks out is that that was helpful. I remember from the book church in hard places is 
Mez said, what are we doing when we tell this guy, leave, leave your drugs behind that have helped you cope with everything that's difficult in your life. Leave all of your mates who have, you know, risked their lives for you and stuff. Leave the pub where all your social life is so that, so that you've got all those sins taken care of. And then what we offer you as an alternative is come to our once a week gathering where we listen to someone talk and we sing songs and then we all disperse and drive back to our safe homes and we never talk about anything that's hard in one another's life. We never help one another grow in the Christian life. We just show up for the event. Yeah. And he was like, no, there's no way that person, even if they're truly saved, that church is not going to help disciple them. Yeah. And so that's, and I can't remember if that was the second ministry point I had. It's probably related, um, but just the idea of we are an alternative community, not just an event venue. Yeah. And so the church, in order to survive in, in schemes, mm-hmm. um, needed to be that. Yeah. There's no way uh, people who are saved out of a, a scheme background yeah. would be served by a church that's just an event venue. Right. And because of that need, I think... I don't think that churches there are, I'm not saying that they needed to be different and that our churches here shouldn't. I think actually it just helped highlight part of scripture that that's what the church in Acts was. They were yeah. gathering regularly, that the way we're supposed to help one another follow Christ has a lot more to do with a great program that makes you feel inspired and happy that morning. You know, like yeah. there's so much more that the church is meant to be. Um and so that that's that is connected to evangelism, and I'd say that that's probably the, I think that was the other lesson I was thinking of in in terms of ministry. Oh, actually, actually, so this this is why it came to mind as as far as relating it to Agros goes. One thing we have to wrestle with is, where do churches need to be? Because we're a pretty heavily a heavy commuter culture. My family drove thirty five minutes to church almost every week growing up. A lot of people at your church will drive uh, over 30 minutes probably yeah. to come. Um, our, and our, our society does that. We drive for our jobs. We drive for our social activities. Like I'm, yeah. I'm saying that's our culture. But I don't know that wholehearted evangelism to people who are completely unchurched can be done that way. I think people who have never been in a church building are not just going to come in because you had a great Facebook post that made them think, oh, maybe I should try church. I think it's going to be through, I got to know my neighbor. Eventually I got to know the crises or pains in their life. Mm -hmm. I got to like show them how the truth of God's word bring life to that, how the death of Christ resolves everything that they need in this life. I think it's through relationships like that that, that the uh, the fullness of evangelism can happen. Yeah, And so I was just thinking, um, as far as Agros goes, I think that's an argument for we do need churches in most small towns. Yeah. It's, it's one thing if a small town is right next to another small town. Like we live in Atchison and Winthrop, Missouri. Is a, I don't think it's even a town. There's no population on the sign, but it's right across the river maybe 50 people over there, maybe less. And I wouldn't say like, oh, no, 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 we need something on the other side of the river. I'm basically just trying to say like, 
are the people in the are the unbelievers in the normal course of their weeks going to uh, get exposed to Christians? Yeah. Let's assume they never they're never going to go to a church. In the ordinary course of their life, could they be exposed to a Christian? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then I'd say, okay, but I think that that's a good argument then for a church because I think a church is more about a community, less about an event. Yeah. And so we need a community bearing witness to the hope of the gospel there yeah. so that it can have that outreach. The yeah. church does not only exist for evangelism, but that is just one argument in favor of we should support and strengthen churches in these small remote communities yeah. so that uh, unbelievers can be exposed to the a life worthy lives worthy of the gospel. Yeah. So yeah, and then the I think I'm I'm being too wordy. The other ministry lesson relates to all of that is just that it's not just unbelievers who need that. Christians need that. Christians yeah. need a church that has weekly felt like through the week fellowship. We need to be devoted and deliberate about our discipleship and following Christ. We yeah. need a community where we can confess our sin and be held accountable and challenged to walk in it. Another way that scheme culture highlighted that, that I don't think means only scheme schemes need churches like this. I think just highlighted the truth. We all need this is some of the uh, temptations they faced were a little bit more flagrant than what I was used to. Yeah. It becomes obvious. You need to support a guy regularly who's like on the edge of going back to heroin every day. Yeah. It's like, okay, yep. If, if he is truly a brother in Christ, you know, he might need to live with someone from the church. He needs that much mm. interaction and accountability yeah. from Christians to help him walk this path. Yeah. Well, just because his sin is more flag- flagrant doesn't mean it's more, there's any more gravity to it. The yeah. sins that I have need just as much accountability, need someone who's just as serious about don't be a people pleaser, don't be proud, don't be... Um, a moralist you know those kind of things need targeted in my heart too and need that gritty personal interaction throughout the week yeah Um, iron sharpening iron so when you think of when you think of doing life together throughout the week um, do you I I don't know give, give us some examples of how you've seen it done maybe how you've seen it done well and are you thinking primarily in terms of like something structured or things unstructured? Are you thinking of Christians need to be having barbecues together in their backyard throughout the week? Or are you thinking there needs to be a prayer meeting on, you know, Thursday nights that everybody's going to? What, what do you, what, what do you think that could or should look like? Just, just give us some ideas, paint a picture for us. Um, our church did both. We, we had formal meetings throughout the week. We had events as well. Uh, so in Scotland. In Scotland. Um, but the way that my wife and I were served the most, I think, was through the inf- the informal ones. Mm. And that's in part because we you know, left our family and all of our friends and had no relational support. And so having a church that was like, this pastor, we had two pastors, this pastor opens his home up every Friday night just to watch a movie for anyone who wants to come watch a movie. And it was like... We could sit at home and be lonely and sad that we're not with our family or go watch a movie with someone that we don't really know. But yeah. it was a great place for So we felt the benefits of it. I think in part that was heightened because we were so relationally right. uh, yeah, stretched. Yeah. But um, I do think that that's... 
yeah, yeah. I feel like the obvious, the obvious tension you have to walk is it's not just hanging out. It's not just that we are a fun group of people that don't say bad words. And so that's why we can call it Christian community that it's like, no, we do need what we're gathering together to level with one another and talk about serious things. And if that takes intentionality or formality to make that happen, personally, I, I would do that. Maybe that's yeah. like a, a ministry philosophy difference. That's a matter of conscience. But yeah. personally, I would put formality into some of those gatherings if that's what it took to say, we need confession of sin happening. We need to bear one another's burdens in prayer. Yeah. Um, we need to be able to hold one another accountable to things. We need to be eating God's word together. Yeah. And if just getting together and laughing at a barbecue is all we're doing, then that's not that's not really the full picture of what I mean. That's not yeah. really what we need. We it's do not need. distinctively Christian. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. But our church, yeah, we had barbecues and movie nights and um we all we tried to live in the same neighborhood where our church gathered. Yeah. So because we're also not Gnostic, and so we believe that friendship is still a good thing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, those are, I think that was what you were asking, just yeah. examples of how we saw what the book is called Everyday Church, how we saw Everyday Church lived out. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. Cool. Well, we should probably wrap this episode up. I, I think those are some good takeaways. It just makes me, you know, it just reminds me of the one of the values of experiences like doing cross-cultural ministry is, is how it, your assumptions get challenged, um, and it, like, like you said, it, it just some things were stripped away from you or were not present in the culture. And so it, it highlighted certain aspects. It kind of, um, yeah, it just brought, brought that to bear more. So, um, yeah, that's great. Um, shucks, I don't know. That's probably all, all I have. And that's good. That's cool. all I have. That's more than I have. I made a lot of that up. <laughs> We just wing it. So. <laughs> we really do. We really just wing these for the most part. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and yep. we'll catch you guys later. Later. Mm-hmm.